control. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me as always is our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, the man. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's what we call you behind your back. We say the man. Uh, hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Niall Kitson is uh, here as well. Uh, you're probably excited with uh, Google Stadia, which is because you're a gamer and games is your thing. Or, or are you or are you not excited about this new gaming feature from Google? Firstly, for people who don't know, what is it? Yeah, it's basically a cloud-based game streaming service that all going well, will replace your PlayStation 4 or Xbox One or whatever your, your console of choice is. Well, whatever your poison is, as it, as it were. Now, hang on. Is this a, a, something in the cloud that will replace yeah, it's, it's cloud-based, a very yeah. serious bit of kit that you yes. keep under your telly? Yeah, basically the, the uh, standard box under the television will be replaced with a hand controller and a Chromecast. That's, that's all you'll need. Okay, now on a scale of 1 to 10, or no, do you believe them or not believe them? Um, no, I do, I do. Um, the, the only problem that I have with it, uh, well, I mean, okay, let's break it down. It's basically a Netflix for games, and you're going to be paying uh, 9.99 a month plus 130 euro outlay just to get the, the bits and bobs into oh, your okay. household. Okay? Uh, that's kind of what Apple were doing as well with their games thing. Yeah, kind, yeah. kind of. Do you know what I mean? You can kind rent of. games. Yeah, yeah. They they, they've got their own thing going on yep. with uh, Apple Arcade. But uh, from a technical perspective, I mean, Google is promising that you'll be able to uh, have graphics up to 4K quality. So this is this is pretty good. However, if you want to make use of it, you've got to have 16 gigs of RAM which is twice your average laptop. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going to need a broadband connection of minimum 10 megabits per second. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to use 4K gaming, you've got to be in and around 35 megabits per second. Mm, well, for a lot of people here in the, in the metro areas, yeah, certainly in Dublin, no problem. But if you were outside, in, outside of that, yeah, it, that's, that's causing a problem. I would, and I would I'd, say the same in Europe. Like this is not just an Irish thing. If you're in a if you're in a city area and you've got fiber, yay! And if yeah. you don't, whoops. If you've got any kind of a competitive market, it's marketplace. It's probably going to be a good thing, but um, yeah, it's not great. When you look at even you know Netflix can is saying that all you need is what a three megabit connection for regular streaming and fourteen for four K. You know, compare and contrast. I mean, even you know. 14 megs is out of reach for an awful lot of people realistically once you factor in contention and service availability. I think most people are, are able to, to watch regular definition Netflix and that's that's quite fine. Uh, I mean, you know, Stadia is arriving uh, the 19th, so they've got a week to figure out the last <laughs> to, of the to figure it out. Are you going to try it? Is there a free trial? Can you play, pay month by month? Do you have to commit to a year? If, if you buy the hardware, you get three months free. All right, okay. Right. So you're going to give it the three months? I, I can't see of myself Of course, it's still 140 much. quid, isn't it, for the hardware? Yeah. And there is there is a little bit of a catch in that about 40 games have been announced. Okay. Um, but 
only 12 will be available on launch day. So there's a lot of titles okay. that either, you know, they granted, they have Cyberpunk 2077 listed and that's not coming out until next April. So basically the list of games that they have up on the website is, is you know, we, we have commitments to carry the following games. It doesn't mean that they're going to be available on day one or anything like that. I'm just laughing. I know you're looking at me. Why am I laughing? It's like it's the Netflix of games. Yeah. It's got 12 games. Can you imagine <laughs> if I told you about Netflix and it's got 12 movies on them and they're all, uh, and they're all rubbish? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But what about the game, 12 games that they're launching with? Are they good? Yeah, well, I mean, every everything that they've uh, publicised is like, you know, stuff that you want okay. to play, not just, you know, nominally here's something kind of novel or here's something kind of interesting. No, I mean, they're they're going for a proper gaming audience. So, you know, they have the likes of Destiny 2. They've, they've got a... They've got quite a few recognisable mm. names up there. So, yes, if you're interested in gaming and you don't want a console, by all means, give it a try. It, it does remind me of the failed experiment that was on live gaming, which you remember from about 10 years ago now, mm. uh, where it was a small little box went under your TV and it streamed games from a se- from a server somewhere. Mm. But... They couldn't get they couldn't get the hardware to keep up with the software. They couldn't get the game licenses to keep up, and the quality of service was wasn't there. So the technology mm. wasn't wasn't ready. Now it is, and Google is is big enough to make it happen. Yeah, give it a go. Give it a go and see what happens. Um, uh, another thing that uh, we were talking about, I was speaking of Netflix actually, uh, Apple TV Plus launched. This week, or no, this month, I should say. Certainly uh, did. At the, on the 1st of November. Uh, much heralded, much lauded, much talked about by us. Um, have you heard anybody mentioning it, talking well, about I've, it, watching it? I've heard that they've lost a very high-profile executive already. What? Yeah. the uh, Kim Rosenfield, mm-hmm. the head of current scripted programming, documentary and unscripted content. Basically, the guy in charge of all the content, all the original content, right. uh, has left. <laughs> oh, that's not a good sign. Not it's a not a great sign, sign is it? Uh, he came from Sony, so it's not like they plucked some guy out, mm. of, the, out of the air, you know. But um, yeah, four shows launched um, as a you know, as part of the the big hoopla kind of thing. The morning show, C Dickinson, and for all mankind. For all mankind is kind of you might find it interesting. Actually, it's sort of a speculative fiction thing on what if the space race never happened. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, well I'd like that. Yeah, and the morning show I would like to see as well. Morning so. show you'd like to see uh, the two other shows. Um, C, uh, which has Jason Momoa, got panned critically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dickinson, uh, which is about Emily Dickinson, mm-hmm. a wonderful poet. Um, uh, apparently, it's it's got good reviews. But all four of the launch shows have been renewed for a second season. Whether that's Apple refusing to admit defeat, or whether you know they they reckon people mm-hmm. actually come around and, and enjoy these shows is a, another thing. But one of the reviews of the morning show, and I, this was my fear, and I think this is something Netflix are definitely falling into trouble with. They said that watching the morning show was like watching the best of an awful lot of things, but they're not compatible and they're put together into one thing. Right, okay. You know? Yeah. So they've got a really good cast. They've got you know, good bits of everything, but they're just not compatible. Right, okay. So... There you go. And I think that, I think Netflix is particularly it, it vulnerable it, does, it doesn't have the X factor. It I know doesn't. you see that and you see like made by Netflix and they, you know, kind of some of them are very good. Yeah. Oh, my God, my God, when they're bad, they're bad. They're, they're pretty bad. Like yeah. I was watching Another Life and it felt like uh, somebody went, oh, Arrival did well, Battlestar Galactica did well. 
uh, Interstellar did well. Let's just put them all together and see what and happens. See, you know, yeah. With a bit of Riverdale in there as well. So uh, I saw uh, uh, another pitch from uh, from Apple TV that would normally directly apply, appeal to me, I should say, and that's uh, Star Wars. I think they're showing a, a 4K uh, version of Star Wars. Yes, yeah, yeah. Would that... No. No? No interest? <laughs> no interest at all. Huh. Because I've seen Star Wars. Yeah, so g- okay. Give me new Star Wars and I'm interested. Right, right? I okay. Don't, I don't want to watch the same thing in higher resolution. Well, you know, and some of the newer ones, uh, I mean, they all, they've they already got 4K releases. But even right? when they brought out the DVD, because the uh, technology had, and CGI technology had advanced so far, they were mm. able to, you know, con- change complete scenes with CGI characters yeah. and stuff well, like that. You know, Jabba the Hutt yeah, comes to mind. I still think... I have on video the last edition of Star Wars before they started mucking with it. Ah, right, okay. (laughs) There was a remastered edition released in 1995 where they just tweaked up the sound and didn't change anything. Right, Because they didn't add any nonsense. And that's the one to have, really, isn't it? That's the one to have. That's the one to have. All right, okay. Well, uh, interesting that you haven't uh, met anybody who's uh, uh, using Apple TV Plus. I haven't yet. But um, now that you've reminded me of it, I'm going to see if I can uh, sign up for it because I I really do want to see The Morning Show and I like that other recommendation you had as well. Anyway, enough of our chit-chat. I think it's uh, time to get into our interview for this week. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's Tech Central. We know how big data is being used to dictate everything from what we eat to finding the best places to build a house. However, with advances in natural language processing, cloud computing and artificial intelligence, we are on the cusp of a revolution in data analysis itself. Edward MacDonnell is the director of CEDAR, the Centre for Research into Analytic and Artificial Intelligence. He sat down with Niall Kitson to talk about this new field of augmented analytics and why in the future you won't need to interrogate large data sets to look for answers. All you'll have to do is ask. Edward, for those not familiar with CEDAR uh, and its work, tell us a little bit about the centre's background. So the centre started off uh, actually more than six years ago. There was a working group set up by Enterprise Ireland and the IDA to look at areas, technology areas, where Ireland could take a strategic lead, uh, not only in in Europe, but uh, globally. And this was back in the days before analytics and AI are quite the the hype terms that they are today. And this working group, which I think was formed of about 80 companies, um, they identified several areas. One, and to give them full credit for it, was was data analytics. And uh, on the basis of that, EI and the IDA, DA then decided to take a strategic investment in it. Uh, They uh, released a a call for proposals for a centre such as the CEDAR Centre. And it was a competitive process. And CEDAR, based here in in UCD, in collaboration with the Technical University Dublin, actually won that competition. So the the centre itself started... Uh, six years ago, and its its primary remit is is not to be a centre focused on fundamental and academic research, but rather taking what has recently been discovered by research and actually making that applicable and usable for businesses and and industry. So we're spanning the the gap, I suppose, between what we could perceive to be academic research and its application in business and industry to generate uh, revenue and, and profit. So that's that was the genesis of the centre. And of course, uh, as we both know, 
uh, the, the whole world of analytics and, and lately artificial intelligence has absolutely ballooned. And uh, so the centre has been right at the centre of that uh, ecosystem uh, in Ireland and a, an appetite in Ireland uh, for both analytics and AI that seems seems insatiable. And of course, the the, uh, the market for uh, data analysts and um, machine learning engineers um, in Ireland generally is is very hot, and nowhere more so than uh, than in Dublin and the Greater Dublin area as well. So a lot of the multinationals that we work with and indigenous companies here are really uh, gearing up uh, to meet the uh, the opportunity that's presented with um, uh, analytics in this data society that we, we live in. And when we're talking about data, um, you mentioned the process of datafication. Now, is there, are we talking here about the idea of for example, the quantified self where we take our fitness data and we, we turn it into numbers for future reference or we have a look at how our business is operating and, and look for efficiencies. You know, what sort of material is being you know, datafied and how does that process happen? Yeah, I think datafication is, is a good term to describe actually how I suppose that the revolution of the 21st century, of the latter 20th century and the 21st century is the datafication of, of practically everything um, and of course the the public's insatiable desire for uh, for datification so you can you know you only have to look at uh, the explosion of Fitbits and then people trying to you know achieve their step target uh, on a day b- before Fitbit and the the datafied or quantified self was was there people wouldn't really have had a sense of exactly how they were doing in terms of fitness goals but now actually here is a a gold standard to be able to to judge yourself uh, again so we we see it in in personal health. Uh, and of course, the great thing about the quantified self is to be able to share that data with other people as well. So you're able to compare yourself at a particular life stage and goal with with others in a similar condition to see if you're, you know, average or or above average, and perhaps maybe even get some sort of um, early indicators of of maybe health issues from that as well. So we see uh, personal health, personal medicine. Uh, being very popular, there's even talk in Japan of of loos that actually do a chemical analysis of the urine um, supplied into them to to be able to do a quick analysis to say maybe your diet is too rich in fats or something like that. So you've got that aspect. You've also got the aspect too of um, you know um, the 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 music. That, that you like your personal preferences, your use of websites, the customer journey, where customers use the, um, I suppose, the breadcrumbs that the people leave on websites to be able to improve the, the service they give and, and, and improve as well the recommendations of, of products and advertising that, that people might be uh, interested in. So, you know, there's the, the, those more human elements to the datafication, but if you take it on to the area of uh, business, uh, particularly in industry, we're, we're hearing a lot about what's called industrial Internet of Things. It's also called as well the Industry 4.0, the, the fourth uh, industrial revolution, where machines talk to machines and are able to take informed decisions themselves without uh, human operators having to be uh, in in the loop. So it leads to 
hopefully a, a, a more uh, efficient process. So the, I don't think there's any part of human endeavor that isn't being uh, datified or sampled for, for data and that um, hopefully improvements for, for all uh, will flow from it. So when we're looking at analytics and now what the bringing AI into the conversation more and more, the field of augmented analytics, we're beginning to see uh, a paradigm where you're not necessarily having to come up with a specified project for the data science, for the data scientist or, or the team. Uh, data science will effectively be coming to you. Well, that is the great goal and it's if you want to use a technical term it's the this intermediation uh, of the data scientist from the data analytics or, or or ai workflow because at the moment it's still relatively i suppose in the grand scheme of things the these technologies are still coming well one of them's coming out of its infancy and the other is probably still in it i would imagine uh so what we need to do is we still have to craft solutions. Ideally, what you want to get to is the case where any business decision maker can input data easily, let's say, to the analysis system, allow the system to do its work and to hide the complexity from him or her, but then they're presented with a very uh, visually understandable and visually attractive visualization of what the data is telling them and what insights can be derived from the data because at the moment as i say a lot of analytics and ai is still very much craft work we want to to move it on to the point where it becomes mainstream you know if you, if you take for example let's say the, the easy use that everybody has with word processes nowadays but if you if you went back 50 or 60 years ago you'd have to actually take your typewritten script down to a printer for him or her to be able to typeset it and print it out and it was a much more laborious process whereas now you've got a, an actual printer on your desk so you print out stuff at you know really print quality and ultimately that's the objective with, with analytics and ai to make it uh, one of the other tools that people have in business to be able to make themselves better and, and more efficient so Again, it's the this intermediation of the technology expert. I remember when I was a student, uh, the, my professor was saying that the, the whole challenge that um, computer engineers faced is that we were always doing ourselves out of a job because we were automating ourselves out. And I see the same thing with data scientists and, and AI engineers that we'll be, we'll, we basically are making ourselves redundant. I think that's a, a really interesting way of looking at things. But there, there are other technologies involved uh, in sort of the next wave of analytics in that, you, yes, you have AI, which is there, but you're also looking at, at voice integration as well, because uh, I guess the paradigm is that you don't type into your, your machine what, what you're looking for. You can basically, in Alexa fashion or Siri fashion, just ask, you know, what, uh, what trends have you noticed about my yeah. lifestyle in the last yeah. six years or something like that? Well, that's, that's yeah, yeah, exactly it. And again, so not only is it hiding the complexity of the data science, but also making the technology very, very natural and, and easy to deal with. So, you know, when I, oh, I'm from 
uh, from Derry in the, in, in the north. Uh, I, I, um, I did my research in artificial intelligence at Edinburgh University uh, way back in the, the late 80s and, and early 90s. And the big challenge for us then was speech understanding. And although we were making some headway, it was a great great challenge and the there was a, a lack of enthusiasm because AI in those days wasn't really delivering uh, to the to the the hype that had surrounded it and I think one of the things that was often pointed to was the lack of being able to understand human speech and so if we rapidly move forward to the present day the, the thing that still amazes me uh, w- w- with my kids is that on their mobile phones they'll actually speak their queries uh, into Google, whereas I will still be typing it. And that, I suppose, paradigm, of, for want of a better word, that paradigm of interacting with the technology through voice and the the machine, first of all, taking the audio in, being able to understand the, the audio and the question in the audio, and then going to a system to find an answer to that, and then articulating that answer back again to the uh, the querier. To me, even as a computer scientist, that is still absolutely magic and rocket science. But you know, my kids just see that as second nature. But it, it does represent the huge leap forward that there has been uh, in AI. And now that almost the same as being mainstream, and the, the same thing with translation services uh, as well. You know that has come on by, by, by leaps and bounds uh, from the, the very early days in AI when that was a significant challenge. So again, it hopefully is all augmenting, to use your term, you know, augmenting um, ourselves and our abilities, and to to make the interaction with technology an awful lot easier. You know, to. to it's often called ambient technology where it almost fades into the background and it's just used as an assistive device rather than something that has to be actually confronted. One of the issues that you raise there is when you're you know, raising a question to Google and the, the information coming back, it does imply that the information that you're receiving is A, from the same source and B, accurate, but that's not really the case at all. You, you, you're pulling on data from many different sources that may be presented with you know, the, the brand stamp on it, but may not be particularly accurate at all. So how do we start to deal with this issue of working with many different data sets with various degrees of of reliability attached mm, again it's, it is both a challenge and and actually a very rich source of data for us um, now it is a very valid point in that how do you assess the truthworthiness of the news that is coming back and you know you hardly have to open a, a newspaper nowadays to see so much about false news or, or fake news um, so in another example, for instance, uh, in quite a few projects that we are doing, we actually find that the greatest insights and the greatest results come when we fuse together uh, multiple different uh, data sources rather than just relying on, on one. So you, you can imagine that you know, when, a, when a patient goes to see a doctor, uh, the doctor will look at the patient's notes and um, he or she will look at, let's say, uh, the x-rays, the MRI scans, the patient's uh, medication history, medical history, it'll look at the ECGs, all those different sources of information. And what the doctor then does is merge or fuse all that information together to get 
you know, insights into how to treat the patient um, as as he's presenting himself. So it's when multiple different sources of data come together that I think we produce even better insights into um, data. Another example, uh, a nice little project we did that was suggested to us by several of the um, several of the banks here in Dublin was to to be able to pinpoint where would be the ideal place to set up a pop-up bank, much in the same way as you have pop-up shops, you have pop-up banks. So that will be very much dependent on what events are coming up in the area, let's say the affluence of the neighborhood, the, the footfall, um, lots and lots of different data sources there, time of year as well. But once you bring all those together, those different perspectives, and fuse them into one view, then you get a much richer view of the situation and greater and deeper insights into the um, into the problem you're trying to solve. So that's one really interesting example of you know uh, analytics in action. What other projects going on at Cedar are you know from your perspective pointing the way? Well, one of the again comes back to the point that you made earlier about the datification of uh, of the world we we live in. I, I, there are very very few areas that that aren't actually touched by. Um, datification and analytics and AI, we have now been in existence for you know, six odd years. I've been, I've been the centre director here for over four. And, you know, we, we've seen lots of, of waves of interest, lots of waves in in various industries uh, coming through. When I when I started off first, the, 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 the big area was uh, analytics uh, in financial services. Um, and there have been various other waves uh, coming through one of one of the, um, the the waves, let's say that was breaking maybe two, three, three years ago, was the industry 4.0, the the digitalization of industrial processes and and robots, there and AI applied in in robots. A particular area there that that we've uh, done a lot of work in is in what's called uh, preventative maintenance. In other words, trying to predict when large capital pieces of equipment uh, are going to fail well in advance of them actually failing with all the consequences of that. And one, one example we can point to there is in predicting the failures of wind turbines, uh, because if a wind turbine fails, let's say if the gearbox goes, they can be quite a uh, disaster, not only for the wind turbine, but the farm if the wind, for, the wind turbine falls off. Um, so being able to predict that a gearbox, let's say, is going to fail in a few months' time allows a very graceful uh, repair of, of the wind turbine before the uh, catastrophe happens. Another piece of work we did was um, in the oil and gas fields in the North Sea, where I didn't know this myself at the time, but there are enormous factories that sit on the floor of the ocean, uh, basically uh, pumping lots of oil and gas around. And again, you want to be able to tell when uh, a pump or a valve, and these are huge structures, uh, when that's that's going to fail because it allows you then to charter a ship to go out to be able to repair it rather than do it at the last minute. So that's one another area that is really becoming very, very uh, topical and, and hot at the moment is in agri-food. A company we're working with actually has got a range of sensors on a tractor. So when a tractor drives over a, let's say, a grassland, the, the sensors are actually analysing the quality of the grass and the soil, the humidity, the nitrogen content, and so the, the farmer 
get a, a, a great view of exactly the, the health of the field and the grass and where perhaps maybe fertiliser, less fertiliser needs to be applied or more fertiliser in the field. That's one area. Another area is, um, oh goodness, uh, text analytics. Now, text analytics is something that's really exploded in the last um, couple of years, particularly the text analytics of legal documents. So being able to automatically process thousands and thousands of documents, whether you're looking for, uh, let's say, if you're looking for case law in thousands of uh, report, uh, court reports, you want to be able to do that rather than having to read each one uh, individually. So if you had a computer assistance to help with that, or, or even, let's say, in a contract, the, the system is able to tell you who are the, the parties to the contract, uh, what is the legal jurisdiction that the contract ha- has been signed under, uh, what's the duration of the cont- contract. So, so that's another example, particularly in, in the, the, the world of legal. And um, so we're also doing work uh, in blockchain, uh, in controlling the supply chain, and explainable AI uh, is another hot hot area. Explainable AI is, is basically making the machine decisions uh, understandable to, to humans. How, how did a particular conclusion, uh, how, how was it arrived at? Uh, so it's a very active area of work for us, and again, is, is one of the, um, the holy grails of, of AI is to make the decision process more transparent. So sorry, that was a long preamble. The, the reason for that now is that, as I say, it's such a broad area where everything is, is being datafied that it is um, every industry vertical and every aspect of human endeavor is, is being touched by this so that there's just an enormous amount of, of work going on, hence the enormous appetite uh, for people with skills in, in analytics and, and AI, both you know at the undergraduate level and at the at the research end, and I don't see any reason for that appetite to to subside in the near future either. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Edward MacDonald, the director of CEDAR, the Centre for Research into Analytic and Artificial Intelligence. That's almost it for our show for this week. Just before we go, Niall, uh, there is one more thing, very important thing on the uh, on the website. We did manage to talk about the web, web on the on the web uh, the program. <laughs> Sounds like the cartoon character. I thought it's like Porky Pig. Yeah, it's Science Week. There's still a couple of days left to enjoy it. So go to scienceweek.ie and see what's going on in your area. Right, and you'll get all the lowdown on that news and all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Nile Kitson, thanks as always for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.